Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, a podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thanks for having me. Welcome back. Today's topic, Dick Tracy, an adaption of the hard-boiled 30s comic strip. Warren Beatty produced, directed and starred in the film, whose supporting cast includes Al Pacino and Madonna. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. And there's many other people in it as well. We'll get to the rest of the cast because this movie has an incredible cast. Oh, it's impressive. I mean, you can't help but feel. I mentioned Warren Beatty directed this movie. Mm. He must have thought, maybe I've just got one chance at putting this character on screen. So just in case I don't get another go, I'm going to put all the villains up there. Yeah. And that's why we get like an incredible cast and an array of bizarre looking characters, but we will we will get, we'll get into that. Yeah. Dick Tracy as a character, for me, I only really know him from this film. Not from comics, not from the serials from back in the day. What about yourself? I'm I got that beat. I'm right there with you. Um to be honest, uh gushing fanboy moments. I loved Dick Tracy from the get-go when I was a kid. I was probably about Somewhere between six and nine when it first came out. When, when was the... It was 1990. So, no, I was 10. I was 10 when it came out. And I loved it. I, I used to run around the house pretending that was Dick Tracy. I remember getting a show bag. It must have been a show bag from the show or something like that. That was Dick Tracy bag. And it came with a little plastic, like, yellow hat, plastic yellow trench coat. I don't think it came with a Tommy gun, so I just had to imagine that part. But I used to run around the house pretending I was chasing gangsters, pretending I was Dick, Dick Tracy. So... My affiliation with that character goes way back, and uh, the film was entirely responsible for that. I mean, this is a film that I've never had a close relationship with. It's a film that, you know, I've obviously seen a number of times and watched it again recently. In fact, I even went out and picked up the the Blu-ray. I thought maybe it's going to be on Disney+, Plus because although released through Touchstone Pictures, this is a Disney movie, Mm. only it's not presented that way you wouldn't know it no but there's i mean there's other like disney movies like the rocketeer yeah it's another one you wouldn't closely associate as being a disney movie but it is but dick tracy again for me it was the movie that had the kid mm. from the hook movie with yep. robin williams yep. that's what i more associated dick tracy with it's colorful you know it's got the yellow get up i mean visually it's very distinctive stunning yeah but to put it in context, this movie came out on the back of Batman 89. And it's funny that you should say that because I often feel like Dick Tracy, in a lot of ways, was the precursor or forerunner, forebearer to Batman. If you look at his color scheme, they're, they're, they're really bold colors, like you've got the yellows and the, and the blacks. Batman is the same, especially the 89 Batman. It's a really strong power set of colors that are really striking and really visual. And he, Tracy stands for truth and justice and um, all that stuff, just like Bruce Wayne and Batman did. So it's almost like he's, you know, he created that archetype for Batman to later follow because he is a pulp hero who came out just before the, the, the golden age of comics started. Yeah, I mean, like I say, he's a character that predates most of the heroes we think of today that we get through DC or Marvel Comics. He's certainly... Is one of the originals. I'm sure if you t- could talk to, um, you know, Bob Kane and um, other Batman's other creators, Bill Finger, or even um, 
uh, uh, like you know the creators of Superman, uh, Siegel and Shuster. I'm sure they would all point to uh, Dick Tracy's creator and say this guy was a huge influence. And you know we would we wouldn't have our our characters and our books without Dick Tracy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So development of the film began in the early 1980s with Tom Menkowitz assigned to write the script. The screenplay was written instead by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., both of Top Gun fame. The project also went through directors Steven Spielberg, John Landis, Walter Hill and Richard Benjamin before the arrival of Warren Beatty. Mm -hmm. And the film was mainly filmed at Universal Studios. What I'd say about this movie, visually, it's going for a distinctive style. Very much so. But it doesn't look real, does it? No, but it's amazing. When you when the camera goes right back for those establishing shots, um, and then it will move and then zoom in on another another piece of the set, it almost looks like it's uh, on, on like a big, huge stage. It almost looks like it's a, um, like a Broadway sort of musical or Broadway play. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Early in the development, Beatty decided to make the film using a palette limited to just seven colours, primarily red, green, blue and yellow. And that was to evoke the film's comic strip origins. Pulpy. Furthermore, each of the colours was to be exactly the same shade. And that's leaning into what you were saying there, but it's staged, it's like Broadway. It is like watching a show and it does feel like a comic strip it does brought to life like a really pulpy comic comic strip from a newspaper that you would read and i think it's, it's sort of it almost feels like they use some kind of special effects or some kind of technology in in certain shots but it's probably not um it's probably just very simple you know um optical illusions and uh, sleight of hand uh, stuff but it just looks really impressive and you have to remember this was a movie that was made in 1990 that's not that long ago. And it's trying to look like it was the 30s. Exactly. 30s. So, yeah, it's not trying to look like a 90s movie. It's no. going for a particular style. I mean, this was one of the last films to be made with paintings as backgrounds. Yeah. That's something we'd see, like Very a movie apparent. we reviewed a while back, Conan the Barbarian, that yep. used painted backgrounds as well. CGI saves a lot of time and money, but the camera must remain still. So when it's a painted background, you can't be moving the camera because they can't fix it up digitally after the fact. Absolutely. I think you're, you're, you really uh, hit the nail on the head with the color schemes. They're so rich and vibrant. And there's a real, um, the color that they use in the movie really pops. It's really visually striking. It's bold. And it evokes um, very much film noir. But I know that's ironic because noir is very much black and white. But um, this manages to be noir in full color, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, because it is still quite a dark movie, mm. isn't it? But at the same time, you've got all these crime colours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at Tracy's apartment, the inside of it is, is very bright red. There's a lot of red, lots of red everywhere on his door and on his chairs and his furniture. And uh, that stands in contrast to Tracy with his, with his yellow get-up, yellow and black get-up. And it's, just, it's almost like you know, those McDonald's-style primary colours is jumping out at you. Uh, before we get to the cast then, and we need to start with Dick Tracy. Yeah. The film premiered at the Walt Disney World Resort in Lake Buena Vista in Florida on July 14th, 1990. It was released nationwide a day later to mixed reviews, but was a success at the box office and at awards time. It garnered seven Academy Award nominations, winning in three of the categories. 
Best original song, best makeup, and best art direction. Mm. So this is a film that had a budget of forty-six million at the box office. It did one hundred and sixty-two point seven million. So pretty fair to say they made back their bank. But we never got a sequel. We never got. No. There's just this movie. Like this yeah. was the last Dick Tracy thing put on screen. Like we've had no animated series, no but reboots, no nothing. In a way, that's a good thing. I mean, you. you... It is a flash in the pan, absolute gem of a movie. Why risk muddying its legacy with a, a terrible sequel that flops or uh, a lame TV show or um, an animated show that just is a cash grab that people can sense? It's just surprising they've not done more with it. Like we've mentioned like Rocketeer a couple of times already. Mm. That's another one that I guess they're going for the feel of Indiana Jones hoping to get a franchise yeah. out of Rocketeer, but that never quite happened. But interestingly, though, my my youngest is currently watching the Rocketeer animated series, mm-hmm. and it's like it's a Disney Junior show, and Pro- it's it's for little kids. Like she's yeah, three, probably, she's probably loves much, it too, and she does. Yeah, yeah, she sings along with the theme song. Uh, the actor that played Cliff Sacord, Rocketeer, I'm blanking on his name. I think it's Billy Campbell. He is in the show, but voicing a different character. And occasionally they'll do a flashback to the original Rocketeer, but essentially the show is following this young girl. But again, Rocketeer, it was that movie only outside of comics for the longest time. Yeah. But now he's got an animated, she's got an animated series, I should say. I mean, even though we we don't have any other um, examples of Dick Tracy apart from that original film, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, say in the next five to ten years that that property of that license gets thrown around again and someone else has their their hand at trying to reboot the franchise and trying to, you know, re- breathe new life into it. Honestly, I'm generally really surprised that we've had nothing mm. since this movie. Sometimes, though, that could be the mark of a good movie. You know, does it need a sequel? Well, let's talk about the movie then. Dick Tracy depicts the detective's romantic relationship with Breathless Mahoney and Tess Trueheart, mm. as well has his conflicts with crime boss Alfonso, or Alphonse, known Big as Big Boy Caprice, yep. and his henchman. Tracy also begins fostering a young street urchin named Kid. The Kid. The eponymous title of The Kid. So we've got Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy, a square-jawed, fast-shooting, hard-hitting, an intelligent police detective sporting a yellow overcoat and fedora. And a fancy futuristic steampunk watch. <laughs> what a um, what a description. Visually, I mean, he definitely looks the part. In the comics, Tracy does have a what's described as a hook nose. Mm. They tried it with prosthetics, like all the villains didn't take. have got prosthetics. Yeah, he didn't take. And it's kind of like... Because the villains got... themselves are so off the wall. And That's so, right. So garish. But they were trying to do it, you know, accurate to the comic strip. Yeah. But when you've got someone like Warren Beatty, like he generally, he looks the part. He even does. without the hook. You don't, you don't need prosthetics on Warren Beatty, Warren Beatty, however you want to say it. I he... think we've done it both ways so far. yeah. yeah. Um, Let's go Warren B. Yeah, it works for me. Move on. Hey, there's so much panache to, to his look visually. Like I've said, the the, the combination of the, the black and the yellow, just like this Batman shirt that I'm wearing that you can't see here, uh, the classic Batman logo, it's just really stunning. It just pops. There's so much panache to it. It's Yeah, I mean, visually, there's no mis- mistaking like Dick You Tracy. know who it is. Unless you don't, because if you're... Then you're like, who's this guy? <laughs> if you're a young person today, you probably 
Not going to know who Dick Tracy is. No, so you'll whip out the Google when you'll find out. Al Pacino is in this movie. Honestly, from doing this rewatch, I think whenever you hear an Al Pacino impression, I think it's from this movie. Can I just say something about, about Al Pacino in this movie? Why is it that every time Al Pacino's in a scene, he has to yell? I mean, Pacino's known for doing that, but I think this movie's largely responsible for that yeah like that, that's that stereotype you know that loud yelly parochial pacino that's what he's doing in this movie he's yelling in every damn scene he's, he's almost in. like a, a send-up of himself yeah yeah if a you parody listen, of himself if you listen to hollywood babylon which is a kevin smith podcast yes. one of many podcasts yeah. he's got co-host ralph garman does a great pacino but i would say he's doing this pacino yeah <laughs> he's that doing real the big boy Pacino Tracy yeah yeah can we talk about flat top yeah yeah I mean we could work our way through you're gonna get there through the characters oh, you're gonna oh, get there before we do though um, visually uh, yeah and flat top I mean that's I loved flat top <laughs> visually the the villains we'll, we'll go through all of them and um, definitely has a distinctive look yeah all of the villains from what I found doing research it's for this great rogues gallery yeah but all of the villains visually they look like they're doing in the comic strip. Yeah. Big boy Caprice looks different. Pacino had control visually over what he was going to look like. Apparently, he's a much, much larger bad. character right. in, in the comics. But I guess they wanted Pacino. They got Pacino. Yeah. And they and let he, him just have probably, fun. He, yeah. With the cosplay. He probably thought it might be great to shrink this guy down and hunch him over and, and play on the whole big boy title because he's not big. Or maybe he's big in terms of his ego, and that's the whole point. Yeah, I think they just let him do something yeah. different. Hey, it's Pacino. He's going to shout at people. Let's just let him do his thing. Who played Flat Top? I'm looking for uh, him for Someone my... Forsyth. Was it William Forsyth? Yes. Yes. That's right. So he's Caprice's top hitman. And then, yeah, of course, his most distinguishing feature is his square, flat cranium and matching haircut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had the figurine. I had the Flat Top figurine. I... Um, Obviously, long since lost it, but as a boy, I had that figurine and I loved it. And that just something about that particular mobster just always appealed to me. He was intimidating, and he was the bully. He was the belligerent, um, you know, heavy that was always, you know, the the right hand side of yep. of, of um, big boy. And he was just bossing people around and just getting in the way and making people know, hey, you know, we're watching you. And he was always there, always lurking. Always lurking. Yeah, definitely. Do you know who, who would have played presence. him really well in a modern context? Michael Shannon. I could see him as flat top. Yeah, mate, yeah I think he'd be your pick for most most characters. Yeah. yeah no, You're well just, known for being a big he's got, Shannon fan. No, I know, but he's got that. Kind yeah, of, I know. Yeah. He could do it. I reckon he could do most things. He would probably you could, yeah. He probably could. <laughs> but no, flat top was great. He was... He's the one I remember the most. I mean, there's a whole impressive list which we'll go through. Well, I'll, I'll go through them now and then we'll we'll double back and we'll go through the good guys. Yeah. Uh, because I think the villains are the more fun characters. They are, just because they're so over the top with their facial prosthetics. Okay, so we've got Ed Ross as Itchy. Mm-hmm. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll give a description as well, just in case yeah, you've, you've watched the movie go and you're on. a bit unfamiliar Roll if it's call. been a while. He is Caprice's other hitman. He is usually paired with Flattop. Mm-hmm. So he's often sharing the screen. We've got James Tolkien as Numbers, Caprice's accountant, Mandy Patinkin as 88 Keys. He's a piano player at Club Ritz who becomes the Blank's minion. Oh, of course, we'll get That's to right. the Blank. I thought that was Kevin Pollock for a while. It kind of looks like him in the face. Oh, true. Hmm. 
R.G. Armstrong as Pruneface, a deformed crime yeah. boss who becomes one of Caprice's minions. Very shriveled appearance, obviously. I mean, it's in the name, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the yeah, name. I mean, that's that's half the, the gag with these <laughs> yes. with these mobsters. It's all in the name. The name's doing a lot of heavy lifting here. Oh yeah, you know who I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Henry Silver as Influence, Pruneface's sinister top gunman. Paul Sorvino as Lips Manless, the yep. original owner of Club Ritz and Caprice's mentor. Yep. Chuck Hicks as the Brow, a criminal with a complicated forehead. <laughs> that was probably a good <laughs> that's description. A great, that's a great <laughs> sentence, isn't it? Neil <laughs> Summers as Rodent, a yep. criminal with a rather mousy face. <laughs> I mean, it's pure comic books. I love it. It's, it's great. It's pulp as. Stig Eldred as Shoulders, a criminal with quite broad shoulders. Shoulders. <laughs> uh, Lawrence it. Stephen Myers as Little Face. You guessed it. He, <laughs> he has a, a criminal. Face. Not only does he have a small face, he's got a big head, which makes his face look even smaller. That's right, I remember him. I mean, James Caan is in this movie. Like This has got an impressive wow, cast. Okay. He's playing Spud Spaldoni. A crime boss who refuses to submit to Caprice. Catherine O'Hara as Texi Garcia, a female criminal who submits to Caprice. And Robert Beecher as Ribs Makoa, a criminal who submits to Caprice. You're forgetting someone. Are you talking about the blank? No. Who am I forgetting? Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah. I don't know how I've done that, but fortunately you're here. I remember oh, that. actually, he was at the top of my list, and I just went straight you went to straight past him. Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, Mumbles, Caprice's fast-talking henchman. Uh, Hoffman wore a bald cap and wig, rubber eyelids, rubber lips, and a rubber chin. And it's almost like he's playing. <laughs> it's almost like he's playing the guy from Rain Man all over again. Yes, if you didn't quite recognise that it was Dustin Hoffman, that is why <laughs> he probably went to lampooning great himself. Yeah, uh, to hide his appearance. Uh, we could talk about... Oh, actually, before we get to the law enforcement, mm -hmm. we should talk about Madonna as yes. Breathless Mahoney. She's the temptress. But the spoiler, which we gave at the top of the podcast, yep. also the blank. The so she's blank. The, she's the big bad. Yes, that's right. One. It's a, a dual role. You have to imagine like the question from DC Comics. Kind of like that. Doesn't have a face. Talks with like a, a voice changer. And um, almost like, and you can tell that Police Academy 6 kind of ripped off that idea as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, City Under Siege. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Because it's yes. almost like the blank is in that too. Oh, so that is, you, you, yeah. spot on. You know, you know who we're <laughs> describing here when you think of that movie and you think of Vic Sage, the and question. That would have been, that would have been the 90s. Yeah. So that'd have been a couple of years after, after this. There you go. Yeah. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because you mentioned the blank. Um, I was looking doing some of my own research of this for this before we went to air on this a couple of days ago, and uh, the, the the toy line, um, they the blank was the one toy that you could not get, ultra rare, and no one was able to get it. You know, you could get every other toy in the line, the Dick Tracy line. So even though there wasn't Dick Tracy didn't have a huge pop cultural presence. Um, apart from the movie, there was a toy line and the blank was notoriously hard to find, super rare. And it was rumored that maybe they didn't even make one, but they had the picture for the blank on the back of the packet with all the other toys. Yeah, so this was a movie that, I mean, it was a toy movie. Like, they were looking for so, this movie to, to do toys. well and market toys. I mean, it's and perfect. Look at, look at their garish faces and appearances. They lend themselves well to toys. I mean, so it was Playmates Toys mm. that, that did the whole line. Did the line, yep. 
and they purposely, as you say, they purposely held off. They made the toy, and it was released in Canada. Yep. You can get it on eBay now. Probably worth a ton too. About a grand. <laughs> like wow. You, and that's US. I'm like suddenly wishing. I'm suddenly wishing my flat top figurine was still here. I mean, not necessarily flat top. I'm talking about the blank. The blank. And the thing with that toy is that yeah, if you you could remove the blank mask to reveal to reveal Madonna. Oh, wow. Madonna, right, right, right. So it was a bit of a spoiler. Yeah, and absolutely. And you know what? That's still something that happens today. Like, there's so many like pop vinyls, mm. notorious for like spoiling movies. Yeah, yeah, because they bring out <laughs> the pop vinyl ahead of the movie's release, and you get to see what the person looks like before the head of the movie's release. Well, I just say Madonna dual roles. Um, she she pursued this part. Um, she offered to work for scale, uh, resulted in a paycheck for the film being around thirty five thousand. She really wanted this movie. Yeah. And she's great in this movie. And if I'm honest, I, I don't really know her from too many other movies. No, you, she was in a James Bond movie, yeah. which was terrible. Yeah. But I can't but think she, you, you forget, what else she's done. You forget that she's primarily a singer or an, an entertainer when you watch this movie. She has this natural charisma about her that you, you go, okay, she must have taken acting or studied acting or, you know, um, acting classes because she's got chops. And she fits in. She's got the whole... Marilyn Monroe look as yeah, well. Yeah, so that's very much what she's so, trying to evoke. Yeah, see, so, I mean, that was not just this movie, just in general, that's something that she had going for her. Um, yeah, and she really, she fits the look and tone of Absolutely, absolutely. She's the, she's the knockout bombshell blonde. Should we talk about Glenn Headley as Tess Drewhart? Yeah, she's a, a, a point of confliction for me because she's very pretty and, and quite attractive and amazing to look at. Very, you know, flame-haired, old-school Irish broad. But she's sort of very demure and very quietly spoken and, and moody too. And I and watching that as an adult, I just didn't like how moody she was. That went largely over my head as a kid. You know what? I'm on her side. Mm. I'm on her side. She's playing Dick Tracy's girlfriend. Yeah. And he snogs... Madonna a couple of times. Yes, he does. But that's that's a subtlety I wasn't aware of as a youngster. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Again, the nuances of the, the the love triangle went over my head as a kid. I was more about the action. I'm all I'm all on team true heart here. Yeah. No, I look, don't get me wrong, I'm all yeah. for Tess. And I'm glad that, you know, spoiler alert, Tracy and Tess obviously get back together at the end by the end by movie's end. But you could tell that Madonna's trying to her character is trying to basically ruin their uh, the relationship between Tracy and Tess, and she deliberately you know, kind of tempts him and woos him and leads him astray, you know, and so they end up having a big pash, a big kiss. Then Tess walks in on it. And, and you know, that wasn't apparent to me as a kid that she yeah. was, whole, 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 her whole mission was to wreck that relationship. Yeah, there's at least two kisses in this movie, but she generally, she's interested or she's she thinks she's interested. What it is. In Tracy. But the characters though, her name, so you've yeah. got Madonna was breathless. Yeah. And then you've got the other character... True heart. True heart, yeah. I mean, just like names. the villains. I love it. They're brilliant. I mean, I was going to say ridiculous, what but it is, really is, brilliant. You know, like, uh, Breathless is, she's wanting a good guy like Tracy, a stand-up guy who, who treats women with respect. And all her life, you can tell she's never had that kind of guy. Like, yes. you know, the way Big Boy treats her like crap, smacks her around, the, the way the Lips, who was her former, Lips Moroni, who was her former lover before Big Guy comes in and swoops her off her feet no, he treats her like crap too yeah but he doesn't even swoop her off her feet he just says right you're, you're mine. mine now yeah you're my property yeah, boom exactly uh, in yeah. typical Pacino fashion 
Yeah. <laughs> he's not. Yeah, I, he I don't know if that's... You're mine. Come with me. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. If that, I don't want to commit to saying that's Pacino as a person. No, no, no. That's not him as a person. No, 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 like, no, like, 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 you know... Some of the characters he's played on screen. Yeah, yeah. like, just really aggressive. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Just right, really okay. Aggressive. Just the way that you put it. True. Okay. No, yeah, yeah. I probably worded it wrong. I but you, you, you get what you. I mean. You get what I mean. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Let's, um, let's talk about Charlie Cosmo as the kid. A yeah. scrawny street orphan who survives by eating out of garbage cans and is a protege of Steve the Tramp. I don't remember Steve the Tramp, but he's... Um... Oh, yes, no, he was, he was the guy a, at the beginning. Father. Okay. He's the he father was... that um, you know, smacks him around. Was it his father or just someone? Anyway, he I was... I think it was like a father figure. Yes, okay. A, par father a parental figure. figure. He's smacking the kid around. Tracy walks in on it. He's like, I'm not having this. That's right. That was a good scene. That was a good yeah, scene. it was great. Um, the kid falls into the life of both Tracy and Trueheart and becomes... Yeah. An ally. He becomes Tracy's protege then. And for all intents and purposes, their adopted son. Yeah, but then he adopts the name Dick Tracy Jr. Junior, yes. Obviously, he wants to be like, like Dick Tracy. Yeah. I mean, who, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't in this world? Who he's wouldn't? like one of the rare good yeah. guys. Like he's a good guy. Squeaky queen, apart from when he takes a bribe here and there. <laughs> uh, Macaulay Culkin was considered for the role of the kid, but he turned it down as he preferred to do Home Alone over this film. Mm. Uh, Right choice. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad yeah, a good that call. Culkin did that. But, and you know, this this you know but yeah, the Charlie Cosmo, he's good as the Yeah, he, he's you know, he's great. Like he you you, you buy it. This kid's just an adorable little kid with a you know, big shiny grin and big 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 cheeky smile and and he plays that to perfection. A bit more of a home alone connection. I mentioned Catherine O'Hara earlier playing it's more of a cameo really, which she plays Texie Garcia. Right. Also like Kevin's mum in Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So there you go. Another one. Because she eventually still got to work with Macaulay Culkin. I'll um, quickly just run through the law enforcement. Yep. One, I want to name check them. And two, they're just not as interesting there's, as no, that. There is a cameo here coming up. Go on. Okay. I mean, there's one in particular I think you're going to... There's a name of note. Okay. I, well, should I start with him? I'm guessing you're talking yep. about Dick Van Dyke. Of course. He's the mayor, right? He plays the DA, John oh, the Fletcher. DA. I thought he was the mayor. Okay. A corrupt DA mm -hmm. who refuses to prosecute Caprice as he is on... His payroll. Mm -hmm. um, we've also got James Keane as Pat Patton, Tracy's closest associate and second in command, Seymour Castle as Sam Catchum, brilliant name, <laughs> Tracy's closest associate and third in command, Michael J. Pollock as Bug Bailey, a surveillance expert, and Charles Dunning as Chief Brandon, the chief of police who supports Tracy's crusade. Mm. So outside of Dick Van Dyke, I mean, he's not in it for a lot, but he's in it. I quite like the name Sam Catchum. Yeah, catch him, <laughs> get it? Yeah, again, it's, riffing, it's riffing name. on names, and and that's it. But I think most of the focus outside of Tracy is given to to the mob. Like yeah, because they're, they're, they're the, the more they're, they're they're the more interesting thing to pursue in this movie, aren't they? Yeah, like because that's who you think of. Like, yeah. and we and like you mentioned, you know, with the toy line outside of Tracy, it's just all about the bad guys. guys. There's never the other law enforcement good guys. Oh, actually, uh, with the rogues gallery, the makeup designs were taken directly from Chester Gold's drawings. Chester mm, Gold being the creator right. of Dick Tracy. Um, and I mentioned with the exception of Al Pacino, he did his own thing. Makeup took three and a half hours to apply. I think that was more so for Pacino, but most of them, are, they're going to be in that makeup I'm not surprised. That that makeup is really, all, all those prosthetics and all the stuff they're going to do to all these actors' faces, it's really involved. Really quite disturbing as well. And disturbing, yeah. Honestly, not until watching it as an adult that I really appreciate how disturbing the bad guys actually look. Yeah. You can't, you just stare and think, what am I actually looking at here? Yeah, yeah, it's grotesque. But it's kind of like, 
not in a, in a Ugh, I can't watch this kind of way, but more in a, wow, this is really, it's so tripped out, wacky, kind of comic strip, pulpy action hero stuff. And, and the movie pulls that off with a plum. Yeah. Should we talk about the music? And I actually thought we were going to start talking about the soundtrack earlier when we were talking Batman 89. Is this movie also has Danny Elfman as the composer. Yeah, and that was something I wasn't aware of until I was much older. The, the name Danny Elfman didn't hold much currency for me as a, as a boy. Right, yeah. I, I was the same, yeah. I didn't get to appreciate until, film scores until... Like, of much, course, of course. Batman, later. until Edward Scissorhands. I mean, um, like yourself, I'm sure we enjoyed them, but we did. didn't really think about who was behind them. Yeah, exactly right. And then you go back as an adult and you go, oh, wow, Elfman did the score? Of course, it makes sense. Listen to the listen to the way it sounds. It's... It's um, unmistakably Elfman. I mean, BT hired Elfman to compose the film score based on Batman, which again came out a year earlier. Yep. Elfman enlisted the help of Oingo Boingo bandmate Steve Bartek and Shirley Walker to arrange compositions for the orchestra. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. I mean, one, I didn't know for years that Danny Elfman was the lead singer of Oingo Boingo. I only found that out late. Did, I found that out late too. Yeah, did the title song for the John Hughes movie, Weird Science. Wow. Yeah, crazy, man. But Oingo Boingo, so that's interesting. This, for me, sounds nothing like the Batman 89 theme. No, it's... But the same year, 1990, mm. Danny Elfman did the theme for the Flash live-action TV series. There you go. That theme sounds like what we get in this movie. Yeah. Very similar. This thing's very grand. It's, it's sweeping, um, obviously orchestral. And it does have that that kind of sort of grand, grandi- grandiose sort of element to it. Like it, it's it's iconic and it does have that sound to it that it's sort of very, um, what would you say? I'm, I'm kind of grasping at straws here, but I, I, I was going somewhere with that, then I lost it. But yeah, you know, I, you know I, what I mean? It, it, it's got like I, I, it's got a distinctive it's, it's sound. A, a distinctive sound to it, and you just go, yeah, that's that's a that's a really good sound. Man, that sounded dumb. No, it's, no, I get what you mean. And even like you know, so the Flash TV series yeah. had a particular sound, and and just the look and feel of that show, similar to what Bruce Tim did with Batman the animated series. Yeah, in there's an iconography to it. Is what yes. I'm getting at. It's got a style and and sound. Yeah, no, I get. I get what you mean. And another connection there as well. I mentioned Shirley Walker. Hmm. The Danny Elfman did the theme for Batman the Animated Series, yeah. but he wasn't the composer on the show. That no. was Shirley Walker, Correct. who after Batman went and did Superman the Animated Series yeah. also. So further DC She just took his, took his score and ran with it and did her own thing. And then it. she did her own thing. And then she yeah. built from the ground up Superman the Animated Series. And I love the music yeah, absolutely. from that show. That's but, all good stuff. As well as score, though, we're actually getting songs in this. Warren Beatty hired acclaimed songwriter Stephen Soderheim to write five new songs, Sooner or Later, More, What Can You Lose, Live Alone, and Like It. Oh, and also Back in Business. And mm. they were all songs to be sung by Breathless Mahoney. Yeah, and she always just sings that other song too. What is it? I Always Get My Man or something like that? Yeah. She does that too. And that's a big, huge song and dance number because a lot of that is part of this movie because she's a huge part of the you know, the plot. So we've talked about not getting a sequel. Disney mm. had hoped for Dick Tracy that it would launch a successful franchise. It, it just didn't happen. It, They're saying due to disappointing box office performances, I think looking back on it financially, like this movie wouldn't have been a flop. No, I, I wouldn't just have called it a flop, but for no, the first time, they probably wanted it to make more. Yeah, I, I, I think the movie obviously... 
did okay at the box office. They just had their sights higher. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see that it, it could have made a good sequel. You can almost, in your mind, you, when you look at it, you can see Dick Tracy 2. You know, you can see the logo with a 2 after it. Yeah, it, it just didn't come to it be. It just it wasn't meant to be. I mean, what do you do when you exhaust all your all your um, your rogues gallery and you waste them all with Tommy guns? Again, I, th- I think at the time, Warren Beatty was like, this is maybe going to be one and done. Yeah. Let's just put in it all, all in yeah. there. A tie-in with the movie was released. And this was put out through Walt Disney Comics, Dick Tracy, the Tommy Guns, and True Hearts trilogy, which explained the backstory leading up to this movie, mm. with this movie's plot used as the third instalment. So, so you can get those comics probably on eBay. And they served as prequels. Yeah, so mm. there is more out there if you want to seek it out. Uh, but when it comes to a movie, and again, there were those movie serials prior. But this is pretty much it. I'll say this about the movie, though. Like, Beatty, uh, as a director, the way he chose his shots and the way he chose to set up his shots was brilliant. Like, um, it's almost like he really understands comics and comic strips and how to tell stories visually. He understands the medium, and that is very much apparent in the way the movie looks. Um, Some of the shots just look like comic book panels. Uh, there's a shot where you've got uh, a lady who's the director of the orphanage coming to collect a kid and she's in one, she's in a hallway and you, you see the kid's face close up to the camera in another room. It's almost like looking at a comic book panel. It's just, it's cool. Like the way, Tra- the way Beatty does it, sets up his shots. It's like he just, he understands visual narrative. And I think for me, a modern audience wouldn't necessarily be familiar with Warren Beatty, but I think even if they don't necessarily remember this film, it's an older they'd actor. recognize it. So this must be one of the movies now that he's more known for. Mm. Okay, if you're going to rate this movie out of five, what would you give it? I'm coming in at probably four. I'm coming in at four. It's um, I've got some fondness for it. I grew up with it, loved it, um, loved the toy line. It's a shame we didn't get sequels or or, or more of a more of a pop cultural kind of um. um kick from it like more, it, did, it didn't have that massive pop cultural impact that you would imagine a movie like this to have because it seems ripe for it but no I, i've i loved it uh, i always have it's it's one of those large one life movies you always remember it for its characters you always remember it for how outlandish the villains looked um and it's as probably magnanimous and dynamic visually as tracy's color scheme it, it, itself as tracy's look itself you know, the colors and the, the bombast and the um, art deco look of it meets kind of gritty pulp, meets even a little bit of steampunk. It rolled into one, it all it snowballed into one. It all just works. It just absolutely works. And I've got to come in at a four because I, I think it's great. Okay, we, we have both listed a lot of positives about this movie. Let's talk negatives. Well, this is the thing. I... I agree with everything that we've said. You know, mm. I I agree with what you're saying there. You know, the the quality of filmmaking here is very impressive, especially a movie based on a comic strip that came out in 1990. Well, this rewatch, I can honestly say I did not enjoy watching it. And I really wanted the whole experience to be over. Well, really? Yes, yes. But at the same time, recognising all the good qualities mm. about it. So again, it's a film that I remember watching as a kid. And again, the good things that we've talked about, 
I stand by them. But my but personal think, experience on. watching it, I just, I just didn't, I just didn't enjoy it. But the craft, the performances, the talent on screen, the visuals, it's all there. Mm. I can't quite explain it. There's just something about it that wasn't doing it for you. I just didn't, I just didn't enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird one because often, like, if you're saying I didn't enjoy it, you're going to list all the reasons why it mm. wasn't good. Yeah, Whereas, you need to list those reasons. Again, like, but I'm saying that I'm recognising all, it's a well-made movie. Um, Do you think it was just that you couldn't engage with the plot or engage with no, I just, the, you know, the I've emotional seen it, beats? I've seen it before. I just, I just wasn't into it. Oh, you know, actually, you know, yes, yeah, so I, oh, I've not given it a rating, have I? Um, wow. Um, again, I can't come in too low because, again, like it is a well mm. put together movie. I'm going to come in at a two out of five. Okay. And I can honestly say, even though I picked up the Blu-ray, I will never choose to watch this movie again. I'm done. Wow. Okay. I'm done. I suppose uh, the only reason I, I came in at five, uh, four uh, out of you know, as opposed to five is that the Blu-ray lacks any kind of special features or anything like yeah, that. I just really, the movie. I really, yeah, just the movie. And I really wanted to see how they created this world and brought it to life and how they were able to bring these um, garish looks of the mobsters to life, how they were able to do the sets and, and, and interviews with, you know, with the cast and crew and, you know, or a featurette explaining Tracy's origins and then how, and what they've done with the movie and how it differs or how it doesn't really wanted to see some more behind the scenes. And I'm, I'm a bit let down, but it was just, you know, here's the movie, here's the case, bang, there you go. That's why it doesn't get the five for me. I mean, that's more <laughs> reviewing the... Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I get what you mean. But the, the movie itself, though, maybe you would rate that higher than a four then. Mm. But the the home release, the Blu-ray, the lacking of features yeah. is what brings it down to a four for you. Yeah, I would expect that from just a normal package stock standard edition Blu-ray. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm DVD, sure, but not a Blu-ray. I'm sure there's going to be things on YouTube. I mean, for obvious reasons, I've told you how I felt about my mm. experience yeah. watching the movie. I'm more than satisfied with there only being the movie on, on the Blu-ray. Uh, it's not for everyone. It's not everyone's cup of tea. It's not everyone's Tommy Gun. <laughs> it is not. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it for our episode all about Dick Tracy. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. No worries. As always, it's always a pleasure and never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.